have just a couple of announcements to share with you. The uh, community group uh, Tuesday, uh, Lord willing, we'll be meeting this Tuesday at 6 o'clock here at the church. And the uh, women's group uh, meeting Thursday, 10 a.m. here at church. Um, the Also, there's the... Uh, Imprisoned for Christ virtual event. Uh, there's a couple of posters around here, and then we have information online about it as well on our website. Uh, let me just read you what we have written here. It says, We are hosting a virtual event by Voice of the Martyrs on March 5th. That includes an evening of speakers sharing their personal experiences, being imprisoned for their faith, times of worship, and a panel discussion will be Part of the, the evening. If you are unable to attend with us, contact an elder and we will get you a link that will allow you to watch it from home. So we will be gathering here. We'll be watching it on a, uh, here, but you'll also have a link online where you can watch it from home. And uh, the three key speakers, Peter Jasik, who was uh, imprisoned in Sudan, uh, Andrew Brunson, who was imprisoned in Turkey, and Dan uh, Bauman, who was uh, imprisoned in Iran. So uh, it should be a very uh, interesting evening for sure. And then we also just wanted to make sure that you know that we do have the uh, daily breads for the next quarter. And uh, we have them here, obviously. If uh, you need one and, and you can't get it, uh, come by uh, on a Sunday to get it, uh, we would... Uh, let us know, and we'll try to get one to you either in person or by mail. And so I think that's what I've got in the way of announcements. Uh, for prayer, uh, certainly the continued prayer for uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and all that's going on with that. Things seem to be appear to be getting better, and we want to pray that that would continue. And uh, want to also be praying for... Uh, the weather in Texas especially, but it, it extends all the way up the, to the East Coast. So it's uh, been pretty serious. Uh, my sister lives in Dallas and uh, no heat, no water for a while and, and uh, no electricity. And uh, have to boil when the water was available. You had to boil it even if it's coming out of the tap because uh, they don't know what's going on with all of that. And as it thaws... More pipes are leaking because they were frozen solid and they weren't leaking at that point. So it's uh, created a lot of, 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 of difficulty and uh, housing issues and stuff like that. So lots of prayer. Uh, also, um, the Family Research Council is an organization. You can find them online on their website, Family Research Council. Um, it, and encouraging us to pray for our uh, House of Representatives and for our Senate, federal uh, government. Uh, in the House is a bill called the Equality Act. And uh, since 2015, uh, they've been introducing this and trying to get it passed. It's passed at least once before in the House, but it was defeated in the Senate. And what it is, is it's an Equality Act that in, which uh, offers all gender issues uh, open doors policy, basically. And so uh, 
just to, to pray that the, God would intervene with the, the hearts and the thoughts of these people and uh, that they could have the a vision of the moral issues and the difficulties uh, that it causes uh, for everybody, really, in, in the sense of, of what's going on. So uh, that's the Family Research Council where you can get information on it, read up on it, and it's called the Equality Act. So... Uh, Let's go ahead and, and pray together this morning. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be here. We bring these needs before You and ask, Lord, that You would move in them. And as we open Your Word this morning, we ask that You would uh, guide our hearts and our minds, cause the distractions that would keep us from focusing on You to be set aside and that we could just really draw into Your presence and again through your word and, and sharing together, draw close to you and close together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, continuing to follow our reading uh, through the Bible in a year pattern, and uh, today we'll be preaching from Deuteronomy. And uh, it's, uh, we'll be in, in specifically in, in chapter 6. And uh, we're focusing on a specific part of that for right now. And uh, then we'll get back to that uh, the overall view of, of Deuteronomy uh, in the next message. Um, I, I, I was trying to figure out different ways to start this out. And, and, and one of them might be to say, you know, what's your favorite Scripture? Does anybody want to venture out and say loud... You know, what, one particular, your, one of your go-to scriptures, your favorite scriptures. <laughs> Somebody's looking ahead. Oh, let's see. What is it? No. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Starting with verse 4. Okay. Um, it's not unusual to hear Psalm 23 uh, as, as a favorite verse. Uh, that was uh, a scripture. That was my grandmother's favorite scripture. It saw her through a lot of difficult times, um, and it's one of the ones that she would uh, read to me when she was uh, when I was living with her. Um, if I was having nightmares, which was not unusual, she had a rocking chair right next to my bed. She'd come in and read scripture to me, and that would be one of the things that she would uh, always read was Psalm 23. Um, for some, it's Matthew chapter five verses uh, five, Matthew five through chapter chapter five through chapter seven, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and of course that encompasses a tremendous amount of information, and it's, uh, uh, you can see why that would be. For some, it's Romans chapter ten because it talks about salvation. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Christ and that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Okay. Also, for some, it's Romans chapter 8, especially where it gets into the part where uh, there's nothing that can separate you from God. So there's lots of, of scriptures that we, we call our go-to. One of my go-to scriptures for me is Psalm 40. I waited upon the Lord and He heard my cry. And uh, it's, it's, uh, so we all have those favorite scriptures. Well, for a Hebrew, for a Jew, for, for someone of the nation of Israel... It was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And uh, what, they, what it was called was the Shema. And 
the, uh, the, it's basically the idea that uh, a prayer that you... Well, the word Shema means here in, in, in chapter uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 starts with the word here, O Israel. And so that's where it gets its name. Get into that in a little bit. But uh, Deuteronomy, as a, as a quick summary, is basically a review by Moses... Uh, to the nation of Israel before they go into the promised land of all that God has done and all that He has said and all that He is asking of them as a people when they go into the promised land. And so this prayer uh, offered in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is part of that picture. And uh, in... Well, let's just read that, that Scripture together first. Chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, starting with the fourth verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals uh, uh, between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The picture here is is drawing close to the Lord, how to do it. And, and like I said, I'm going to break this down in just a minute. But my uh, first encounter with this, if you will, as a, uh, a Scripture was actually through my Life of Christ class. Uh, in Bible college, and uh, we were going through the book of Matthew, and and uh, in the the book of Matthew in chapter 22, uh, Jesus is being asked questions by different uh, leadership groups of the Hebrew people, by the Her- uh, Herodians, by the Sadducees, by the Pharisees, and and. Uh, Two questions had been asked, uh, Sadducees and the Herodians, and, and, and Jesus had given them answers that, that they just didn't expect. See, they were looking to trap him. They were looking to, to get him to say something that would come across in such a way that it would alienate two out of the three groups uh, and, and cause disruption. And instead, he gave these answers that were, were well, the perfect answers. And instead, they were amazed out of all of these groups. They were amazed at his teaching and what he had said. So we come to the Sadducees looking at the, or the Pharisees, excuse me, looking at this in, in verse 34 of chapter 22 of Matthew. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now. That would be a question that, that these groups would stand at the gates of their cities and towns and, and at the temple courts and, and different places and debate day in and day out. Which is the worst sin that you can commit? What's, you know, the, you know, uh, so we'll go through the Ten Commandments and say, if you do this, that's worse than this. And, and there would be different sides as to the issues. And, and so they were figuring there's no way he's going to be able to come up with the best commandment and get favor with all, all with all the people again, and so Jesus says to to this uh, lawyer of the of the Pharisees, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the, and the prophets. Immediately, this took every listener to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that would be people who were even illiterate, very few of those, by the way, in the Hebrew culture. And, and it would take them there because they still hadn't memorized these verses because it was part of the Shema. The Shema was a prayer that would be offered up, and you can see why when you read through uh, the idea of, of looking at the Scriptures and the laws of God morning, noon, night, so to speak, all day, and, and when you get up, when you go to bed, this type of thing. And so they had prayer, a prayer that they said in the morning and they said at night, and then at all their festivals and at special occasions. And the prayer was called the Shema, Hear. And it was this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And it would be a part of their prayer that they would say, and included in the Shema also is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 21. If you look that up, it's almost a repeat of, of what is said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then Numbers chapter 15, uh, uh, verses 37 through 41. So they, they, those were three different scriptures that would be part of this prayer. So when these Hebrew people heard Jesus say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, it immediately took them back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as, as you look at this, you, you see what Jesus is saying is, very, very specific. He says, on these two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself, these two commandments rest the whole law. And uh, so I looked, I wanted to look at this so that you could see it the, the way I have learned it. Uh, and I actually took this little list from a, a teaching that Chuck Smith did uh, years and years ago at a conference uh, that I had gone to. Uh, because by the time Jesus was teaching this, the Jews had added a number of things to the law, even extra-biblical things to the law. And so, this is a little piece of writing that, uh, that I saved from that conference. It says, The Jews added to the law that God had given uh, the oral traditions known as the Mishnah which was an explanation of the law. Later they had some 67 volumes known as the Talmud, which was an explanation of the Mishnah. Jesus reduced the law from the Ten Commandments to just two. Love God supremely and your neighbor as yourself. Now, saying love God supremely is including with heart, soul, and mind. In other words, supremely in all ways. The first table of the law would be fulfilled by love, uh, if you loved God with all your heart, soul, and strength. You would have no other... And here are the, the, the first commandments. Uh, you'll have no other gods before Him. You would not be worshiping graven images. You would keep one day and seven as a holy day of rest. And you would not take His name in vain. You would respect it too much to do that. So... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind would cover the first four commandments. And then he says this, If you loved your neighbor as yourself, 
the remainder of the commandments would be, you, would, you would keep. You would honor your father and your mother. You would not murder your neighbor. You would not commit adultery. You would not steal. You would not lie about them or to them. And you would not desire your neighbor's wife or covet anything that belonged to your neighbor. So, Jesus is saying, all the prophets and their teaching, all the laws, all the, the Ten Commandments, all of it, rest on these two foundational principles. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there's really, these people would, that were listening to it, those are, that's what they would understand he had just said. And, and so, uh, as we look at this, understand this is what the Hebrew people were hearing, the, the Israelites were hearing uh, as Jesus spoke those words. They were hearing Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, and, and an understanding that this is what he was referring to. So, again, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, we, I want to take it apart a little bit by verses. Hear, O Israel... Uh, again, the word here, the word Shema, which is where we get the, the name for the prayer. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Only one, not just first place. I want you to explain that. There's only one God. In other words, He's not first among other gods. He is God alone. Period. There is nothing else. And that was really anti-everything that was around them in the way of religion. Almost all of the nations around them, in fact, I, don't, I can't think of any that weren't, uh, were what we call polytheistic, polytheism, many gods. They worshipped many gods. And they would have a, an order uh, and, and the easiest way for a lot of people in the Western world to really understand this is to understand the context of the, the, the Greek or the Roman pantheon of gods because we're more familiar with that. And, and you know, you, Zeus is the head god and, and, and down in the, and there's a pecking order of, of gods and there's the lower gods and there's the half gods and all the different things that go on with that. And, and all these other religions had similar types of responses to if you said what do you believe and so they were willing to even accept the Hebrew people in in the sense of saying you can have your God as the number one but receive us too don't don't come out against us and that's the same thing that got Paul in trouble with the Romans they said just confess that that our gods are gods too And we'll leave it alone. Paul says, I can't do that. There is only one God. Period. And that's where we get this here. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Only one. And then it's, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. What we mean here by all your heart is all your will. All your, your, you can give it. All your will. Your, your, your desire is first here. What's the you know the question comes down to? God will give you the desire of your heart. If you're really seeking after Him, what's the desire of your heart going to be? A closer relationship with Him, you know. And He, you know, and and so 
the, that picture of, of this desire. What's your greatest desire? And is it consistent? Not just Sunday mornings or when I get to the point of worship or, or, or like it become the problems with the Hebrew people at the time of Jesus. Oh, when I'm doing my prayers and stuff like that, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of God. But, but uh, really, it turns out that most of them were doing it for show because that was what was expected. And the, the louder they prayed and the more they prayed, uh, the, the more spiritual they were. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, uh, with all your being. Everything that you are as a person is committed to loving God. So our will is committed, deciding to, to seek after God, to love God, and our, and our being is committed to it, meaning that we pursue it with action. We actually can be seen doing what we say we believe. And then it says, with all your, your might or all your strength, and uh, this is an interesting word because it includes in the context of it all your abundance. I thought that was interesting as a word study. All your abundance, all your resources. Now, when we commit ourselves to God in such a way that we say, and you can find this in the Psalms and other places uh, in Scripture as well as the New Testament, uh, that, that we say, all that we have belongs to God. He has given it to us, not as something to to just uh, enjoy and consume, but to use how? To His glory. You see, we've come to a point where because our, 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 our will is, is surrendered to God, our, our being is surrendered to God, our desire is to come and glorify God in all things. We've come to the idea of what the purpose of man is, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. Okay, and, and to enjoy our fellowship with Him, to enjoy our fellowship together in Him, to share. And, and, and what happens is your giving becomes a sense of joy. What does Paul say about, about, about giver? He calls him, you know, he wants to see a, what kind of giver? A cheerful giver, yeah. You know, and, and so that idea of, of, you know, everything I have belongs to God and so, if God is, is, and I'm walking with God, and God gives me a sense of, of need, you know, that this person over here has a need, and I have the resources to meet it, then I'm to respond. In fact, James will even tell us, you know, if you have the means to, to meet the needs of, of, of someone and you don't do it, it's sin. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to strip yourself so that your needs are unmet. It just says if God has blessed you in such a way that you have the ability to bless someone else, you're obli- you, you, you love God so much and you love His people so much that you want to do that. And it's going to be one of two things, and we'll get to that in a minute, as far as how it's done. It's either going to be a blessing to a believer or it's going to be a testimony to an unbeliever. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your will, with all your soul, your being with all your might, with all your resources, your strength, your abundance. So this is who we are called to be. 
And we are called to do something in addition to doing it, this, we are called to act on it in a particular way. And that's where we get into, again, uh, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, starting with the seventh verse. Uh, You shall teach them what the commandments of God, the things God has written. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This, to me, is, is, is a reminder again to one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not counsel, uh, take uh, the counsel of the wicked, or he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Nor does he stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in everything that it does, it prospers. I love this this picture here. First off, the, the picture is we don't take counsel from the wicked. Where do we seek our counsel from first? The Word of God. If we're unsure as to how to deal with that, understand it or to use it, then we look for a mature Christian to help us to understand it. So we look for the counsel from, I would say, the church in a sense. And so we, we come to the Word of God. We, we maybe discuss it amongst ourselves to come to an idea of what it is that God would have us to do. We don't look to the world. If we look to the world to get our counsel, I wouldn't have given you the announcement to be praying uh, against the Equal Rights Bill uh, that uh, is coming out in reference to all of the gender issues. You know, because it wouldn't bother us. But we're looking at the Word of God and we realize it's an offense to God. Therefore, we stand at a, we take a position on it and hold to that. We don't, you know, if you stand in the way of sinners, which means you get your counsel from the world, you're going to get distracted from the things of God and you're going to end up sitting with the seat, in the seat of scoffers says, blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It's a progressive thing. If I start hanging around the, the world and getting my counsel from the world, the next thing you know, I'm embracing it. I'm sitting with it. The idea here is that you're eating with it, with the world. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go to a restaurant. It doesn't, <laughs> there's people who get weird interpretations of this. What it means is, is that you know, it starts with where are you getting your advice? If you're getting your advice from the world, you're going to start eating with the world. You're going to start looking like the world. You're going to start sitting with the world. And finally, you're going to uh, you know, end up with uh, the idea of, of standing, well, I've bypassed it, standing in the way of sinners. So you uh, walk with the counsel of the wicked, you're going to stand in the way of sinners and ultimately sit with the scoffers, the people that mock God. And it is an interesting thing. I've talked to professors in universities 
who are quietly Christians but sit in and, and, and listen and come up with interesting ideas about uh, creation and, and different types of things where they've melded things together so that they can sit with these colleagues and not be looked down on. They've come up with interesting theories that are not of God. So, it happens, and it's a warning for us in Psalms. Well, the picture comes back to, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and meditate on these things uh, when you're sitting, when you're walking through the day, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That means it should be something that is spontaneous all through the day. Where you see something uh, that, that requires, oh, I'll pray for that. Or you see a situation that has a need and you go and minister. Or you see something amazing, beautiful, sunset, rainbow, whatever, and you, you just are amazed at what God has done. And you see a rainbow and you say, thank you, Lord, for your promise in, in Noah, to Noah and, and, and the way you take care of us and the blessings that you give us. And we're to... Impress them on our children. Most of the the, the people get very uh, that preach on this get very sidetracked here and turn this into a totally parenting thing. It is a parenting scripture, but the idea is is that first and foremost, you as a parent have to be what seeking the Lord. You can't just teach it to your kids. You've got to be in it, doing it, living it. You have to be sitting with it, walking with it, lying down with it, rising up with it yourself before your kids are going to take it from you and realize this is real. But we are to teach it to our children. And then it, it says probably something, for at least for us, it's, it's, it's un, awkward to, to understand. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals uh, uh, between your eyes. Phylacteries. The Hebrew people would roll up Scripture in a cloth and wear it around their forehead and around their wrists. Okay, and people are saying, well, that's not very practical. I mean, you have to, I want to read this. Untie it, or I can't read it from here. Uh, you know, it had nothing to do with reading it at, in, at any given point. It had to do with the fact that you were aware that you were being led by Scripture that has your will, your desire, your, 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 your thoughts, your mind, and the things that you do. You would see that the Word of God was with you all the time. Okay, some people think it's purely metaphorical and, and that it wasn't done at all, but we know that in Jesus' time, there were those who were wearing these things and then even the tassels on their coats for prayer and their prayer altar shawls and all these different things that they were doing to be a, a you know more important person among the people. So uh, that wasn't the intent. The intent was just to be a simple reminder that the, God is with you wherever you go, and His Word is with you wherever you go, and and so. You have it on your head, your phone, a reminder to self what you're doing and what you're thinking. And then it talks about them being on your doorposts and on your gates. Well, 
they literally would put these same little boxes or, or foldings on their doorposts and on their gates, literally. Okay, And the idea of gates here, by the way, is broader than the gate alone on your house. The idea was really the idea that at the city gate, the word would be talked about. Okay, uh, So, uh, this idea of, of again, it was uh, the, to have them on your gate, to have them on your doorpost of your house, was a testimony to the world of who you are. How important this is, even today. What is your testimony? What is your reputation within the community that you live in? Or within the area that you live in? Or your neighborhood that you live in? And it's not that you need to go door to door thumping people over the head with the Bible and say, get to church. It's simply that are you known as a person that has the qualities that reflect a relationship with God? They might not even know that those are the qualities of God necessarily, but they'll look at you and say you're different. You're not the same as the way other people that we, are, we see are. We know you go to church because your car's missing every Sunday morning, you know, uh, whatever, you know. But the idea is that you're different. In fact, that difference is supposed to be part of our te- our, our, our testimony and our reputation uh, in such a way that Paul says, when people ask you why you are different, be prepared to give a testimony to share with them because they've offered you the opportunity. Why are you different? Let me share Jesus Christ with you. And you'd be surprised under those circumstances when it's asked from you how easy it is to do and how receptive it goes out and how it's received. So, all of this picture when, you know, is for, for us to see is, is that we are to teach it, we are to live it day in and day out. It's to be in the morning and the night. Now, the Hebrew people, in the beginning, by the time they were at Jesus' time, They had the morning prayer, their evening prayer, their midday prayer, so they prayed at least three times a day. And 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 when they were walking, they had their prayer shawls or and and different things on, and they might even be holding the tassels. If they were holding the tassels, that meant they were praying. Okay? And so um, they took it to the point of being a demonstration. That's not what God wanted from out of this. But God wanted us to just see what is your commitment to me? And I look at that and I say, well, what, why do we need, you know, you might say, uh, do we need this kind of a commitment to the Lord? The Lord knows because He, he made us in His image. He knows what will fulfill us and make us complete. And then having a relationship with Him will do that. Now, there's one other thing I want to touch on really quick. It says, the Lord is one. That's called monotheism, one God, versus the many gods of the nations that they were going, well, as they were going to go into the promised land, they were going to be surrounded by nations that had many gods, and they were warned against it. 
Major contrast to the worship in the Middle East, especially Canaan, but basically all of the, the known world. So I put down here and I said, the Lord is one. And incidentally, somebody should be saying, what about the Trinity? How does this work? Let me quickly go through this and, and, and give you some scriptures to, to look up later. In Galatians chapter 1, and where it talks about God creating the heavens and the earth, the word for God there is Elohim. That is a plural word for God. The singular word is El. Okay? Elohim created. You're thinking, that's an interesting word to, to, to use with a God that is one. And then in Galatians 1.26, God is talking about creating man, and He says, "Let us create God, uh, man in our image." Who's He talking with? The angels? No, He's not going to create us in the angels' image, and He's not in the image of an angel. You know, He's He's talking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us make God. Let us make man in our image. And here, even in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where the word used for one. And I, I, I went to the Hebrew, I, I have a Hebrew site that I go to to get pronunciations. They, they'll actually tell you the pronunciations. I'll, I'll probably mess it up anyway. But, and plus, what was interesting was they had three different ones and they all sounded different. I thought, well, maybe one was northern, one was southern, and one was east coast. I don't know. Um, but, Echad what we would spell E-C-H-A-D is the word that's used in Deuteronomy. It means one, but in a sense of unity. For instance, God tells us that husband and wife will become one. Echad. In unity. But there's still a husband and a wife in the identity of the two. Okay? The word for singularity, in other words, for single, absolutely, only one, is Yahid. Our spelling in English would be Y-A-C-H-I-D. And it's used anywhere in the Scripture where it's wanting to say absolutely one. It is never used anywhere in Scripture with reference to God. The chad is the one that's used. Um, and again, how can you know more than one? Well, uh, the the Tower of Babel, uh, the people were called one people. Chad, they were going to become one, uh, you know, uh, people. Uh, the United States is a nation, one, you know, this type of thing. So get that picture. Uh, God was not, you know, and, and, and it wasn't explained to the point where you could look at this and say, oh, I got it, there's the Trinity. The Old Testament wasn't doing that necessarily because what they were just saying is that God is bigger than you can imagine. And there's more to it than that. Until Christ comes along, we don't begin to really understand that picture of the Trinity. But then we get into John. Well, John introduces Jesus. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh amongst us. So that meant God amongst us. And then it says, Jesus is the, the physical representation of all that God is. He revealed God to us, the Father. To us in verse 18 of First John, or John 1. And so, we have Jesus entering into this picture showing, and, and John showing us that, that Jesus is God. And of course, we see that then in, in John 14. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are, if it was going to be in the Hebrew word, it would have been Hichah. We are one. Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus is baptized, I think 16, 17, 18, long in there, Matthew chapter 3, when he's baptized. Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove, and God the, the, the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Trinity. Somebody's going to say that, by the way, they'll argue the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Jehovah Witnesses get into that real big. You know, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. It doesn't have to be in the Bible. There's a number of words that we use that aren't in the Bible in our theology to try to describe something that's very difficult to describe. But there is three persons to the picture of what we call the Godhead. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are all God. If you were checking out the Holy Spirit, uh, you would go to Acts chapter uh, 5, verses 3 through 4, and, and Paul or Peter uh, uh, makes sure that you know makes it clear that that the Holy Spirit says is God. And First Corinthians uh, chapter three, uh, the Holy Spirit is God. In 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 First Corinthians chapter eight, uh, God the Father and the Son. I mean, it's it's very clear as you go through Scripture that there is a triune personality within the framework of who God is. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity, we would say. So, this word "one" in the in the in the Old Testament literally means in unity, one in unity. And now we can see God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in unity. You've seen one, you've seen the other, and this is the, the great part of it is is that because of, of of how God is, again beyond our our ability to fully understand or, or interpret or, or articulate. I've heard people, oh, it's like the egg. The shell, the yolk, and, and the white. You know, the embryonic sac is what that actually is. And, and all of that is egg. Now, that's not as bad a definition as, as some people credit it to be. Some say, well, that's, you know, but still it's a, at best, poor picture. At best, a poor picture. Okay? Apple, core, seeds, and meat. Or skin, core, meat, and, and core. You know, all these different ideas about, you know, trying to describe the Trinity. We're going to fall short because we're trying to describe something that's infinite, has no beginning, has no end, created everything through His words, and so we're not going to be able to do it. We can catch a glimpse of it. Okay, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, I want to, to emphasize, God wants us to love Him because He knows that that's where we will uh, 
you know, come to understand his creation and, and to understand his creation becomes the way we understand our purpose. What is the purpose of man? That's the philosophical question that goes back. You go back to Socrates and Aristotle and all these guys. And they all debated all, all the time about this. In fact, uh, in, in Paul's time, he was speaking with the, the people at Mars Hill. And he says, oh, I notice you've got a monument to, uh, uh, to the unknown God over here. I'd like to talk to you about him. His name is God. <laughs> You know, and, and, and he is the only true God. And then he went into preaching about Jesus Christ coming to reveal the Father and, and living out and, and, and sacrificing himself. And then the resurrection. As soon as he got to the resurrection, they said, oh, he's one of those. And then he just basically walked away. And a few of them said, uh, we'll talk to you later about this. And I got the impression that really what is meant there is we'll call you, don't call us. And, and so you have this, this, you know, picture that we discover our purpose our purpose in god is is to be you know to to worship him to give to glorify god in what we do and to enjoy him and uh he tells us that he he's given us the earth to be co-regents uh, men and women and, you know we are co-regents of, of all that god has created and we're responsible to take care of it. And, uh, uh, and so as we look at this and say this is our, we realize, oh, we've been created to do all of this and God has created us to be in a relationship with Him. He's infinite. We're finite. We have a beginning. He has no beginning, no end. But in a relationship with Him, we are eternal. We'll last forever. But we have a beginning. So, we'll, you know, He's above us in every way. He is worthy alone of my praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. I will worship Him. I'll give Him glory. And I will enjoy the the life that He has given me. And what He's given me is, is sufficient because He knows what He wants to do with me in His in this world as far as his kingdom's work is concerned. And we start to strive to understand his love for us. And that takes us immediately to the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That came through the cross. Which brings us to communion. I ask the worship team to come up and uh, have our communion song. Uh, we have the uh, individual communion packets. If you didn't uh, get one coming in, uh, feel free while we're singing to go out and get one now. And uh, we'll be sharing that in a minute. Cross, I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You 
you blew the perfect Holy One, crush your Son, who drank the bitter cup for me. Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your... In that song, it shares the, the words, the, the wrath of God is completely satisfied. What that means is that what our sins have, have come between us and God. God is holy and He says, to come into my presence you must be holy. But if we have sinned, and how many have sinned? All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. The end result is, None of us can go before the throne of God. But on the cross, Jesus satisfied all of the judgment against us. And God looks at us through Christ and sees us holy and draws us into His presence. As a result, we can come into His presence asking for His mercy and grace and we can do it with boldness, with confidence, according to the book of Hebrews. And so we do that this morning as we share in communion. The cup that
that we have. If you break the seal down, and you'll find a little plastic wrapper you can pull up, and that will reveal the bread. And then when you push it down uh, hard, it will crack, and then you can peel back the, uh, the covering and, and uh, have the cup. So, let me share with you from the book of Matthew. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body. Share the bread together. Jesus took a cup, and when He had given thanks... He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in My Father's kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for these emblems that represent the love You poured out on us. We look forward to the day when we share it, as you put it, new with you in the Father's kingdom. We know that that is a promise. You are coming again for your church. We long for the day. I I can't help but think of those words, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. And uh, yet, Lord, until you come, cause us to be the testimony that you want us to be in the community that we're in that shows how much we love You. How much we worship You. We come to You and ask, Lord, that You would cause these verses to be real to us in our life day to day. And again, we thank You for Your mercy, Your love, and Your grace that You have lavished out on us more than abundantly. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. you stand as we close, please?